Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 588 with Tim McDermott. I need a ton more help, but I can't afford it. But biggest lesson and what I did back then was just being like, okay, you know what? You just have to believe that you're going to figure out a way because for sure, for sure, and it's the biggest piece of business advice I give people, hire the right people and believe you can make more money. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash un stoppable here is a statistic for you 89 percent of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out so you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world bento box is a great place to start they will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests but also provides hospitality focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable so with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest tim or chef tim mcdermott chef are you feeling unstoppable today sure i am (laughs) yes that's what we like to hear so actually i gotta say i gotta give you uh some props right now because i am always like at least a half hour late or early but today I was a half hour late and you were so even keel. I went to the wrong locations, basically what happened. And this, this woman is so forgiving. So you can just tell that she's like, why would I get mad? Like, what's the <laughs> point? Which I think is, is kind of a teaser to a success quarter mantra. So I'll hold off on that. But chef Tim McDermott was raised on a farm in rural Canada after a decade of working in some of most, some of the most visionary whole food restaurants in New York city. Tim chose to settle down in sunny laid back San Antonio as a single mother. She wanted a flexible profession that would allow her to be with her son as a, as well as focus on a wholesome, playful diet she had always enjoyed. Uh, Tim, the girl catering, was born in 2011. Since then, Tim has won numerous awards and accolades and opened second businesses, the the Good Kind Cafe, which is actually on a second location, which is where we are now, which is why I went to the wrong location <laughs> earlier. But anyway, we're here now. We're recording. And I can't wait to hear your story. So uh, just let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? 
I, I think, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big mantra person, but uh, I think that it would be just, you know, like you're saying, I was, you know, accepting and being late. I'm just like, nothing's ultimately that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's really what it is, you know, I, you, you know, do that, your best. And that mindset is so important, though, because as you start to grow, as you start to scale, your decisions start to become more and more important. And if you let all these decisions chew you up inside, right. it's like, you why are you to, doing it's it? It's like the choosing your battles kind of thing, you know, yeah. like I, and I was not always this way. Ooh. <laughs> at all <laughs> so maybe that's kind of a good way to get started uh like take us back to where when you knew uh you were going to be in food and beverage when you knew this was going to be your 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 career working with food wow i mean it really happened let's just say the scope of it the scale of it happened very organically i i really didn't mean to do this <laughs> um i moved here when i moved here from new york city which was nine almost nine years ago I really had zero idea what I was going to do here. Okay. It's a long and complicated story. I, I, how I ended up here, but basically for the first year, I mean, I'm you know a native Canadian, lived in New York City for 20 years, and then when I showed up here, I was very confused and really didn't know what I was doing. Mm. <laughs> and so, and then when I decided, you know, I had to do something. Um, I looked around and I just realized that, that my style of food was definitely lacking in this town. And I started out doing private chefing and that became, I, I kind of got too busy. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to do a meal delivery service. And this is all working out of my home because I had a young child yeah. that was a full-time single mother and I could work all night. I could, you know, I could, I could work around it and still, you know, drag him around in the car to jobs and whatnot. So started meal delivery service. That turned into doing a bunch of catering, but small, small parties. Uh, and then, really, I just got too exhausted. So I, and I injured my shoulder and I couldn't lift things oh. anymore. And that was really when I thought, I either have to change direction or I need to hire people. So this is after you already took the path of uh, catering. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. I kind of want to backpedal a little bit okay. because I want to know uh, what happened earlier in your life to kind of make you who you are today. Uh, so you were working in New York City restaurants. Uh, right. So, I mean, I also grew up in in like serious hippie land in Canada in a dome. Where in and, Canada? Uh, the, in British Columbia. Okay. About five hours northeast of Vancouver. Beautiful up there. Um, on a lake that has a thousand miles of shorefront Ooh. up in the mountains. And my mom, you know, had a two acre garden. Um, we lived very remotely. So dining out wasn't a thing. Um, and, and I'm the oldest of five kids. So, you know, we couldn't <laughs> even all fit in one car. <laughs> uh, so we... Did a lot. My mom did a lot of canning and preserving and, and with neighbors. And, and it was just that was sort of the vibe of how we ate. So that kind of what then became, you know, farm to table was really our just life for us. So when I then I went to university in Victoria and, and still didn't really know I did my degree in creative writing. Like I had no idea what I was doing. But I did quickly, I remember, because also we were never, uh, junk food wasn't part of our life. I really hadn't eaten many processed foods. And I remember being really excited that I was going to university. And my roommate at the time was this girl whose parents owned like a basic grocery store. 
and they were going to let us like give us things in bulk like ramen and craft dinner and I was like super excited <laughs> that I was finally going to get to eat crap <laughs> and it really was maybe three days before I thought oh no wait a minute no I'm going to have to like learn how to cook and it wasn't hard for me because it was pretty natural my mom always cooked yeah. my mom's an amazing cook and always made really eclectic. She was from the city and then lived in the wilderness. So she made really eclectic, lots of ethnicities of food. And so, yeah, I mean, I grew up with taste. That would be part of it, I think. Got you. And then when I moved to New York, sort of just naturally fell into the What a the culture shock, shock that must have been to go from out in the middle of nowhere, Canada, to like one of the busiest places on the planet. What was yeah. that like? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was. I, I, You know, but I always say this to people who think that people who only visit New York... I always say, I'm like, it's different when you live there, right? Your world just becomes smaller, yeah. right? It's like you find your niche and you run within that circle and, you know, everything you need is really within a two blocks yeah, or maybe even one, depending where you live. So <laughs> it, it's not... I didn't find it all that daunting. It was okay. exciting. People always say, why did you move to New York? I'm like, who didn't want to move to New York when they were 20? <laughs> right, exactly. Right? I mean, isn't that what everyone wants? <laughs> so where were you working when you moved there? How were you surviving? I worked at the Odeon for quite a long time, um, and that was my first job in New York City, and and I made lifelong friends there. What were you doing? I was uh, serving, and then I became a manager, super young, too. I remember thinking, what are they doing? (laughs) But I guess I was responsible. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, a lot of the people that I worked with, um, you know, like I said, we're still friends, and they went on to, you know, open cool restaurants in New York and and a lot of them actually are restaurateurs now. So this is how many years were you there? This you said this is when you first got there. So. Yeah, I was 21. Okay. 22 maybe. Uh and then I lived there on and off mostly on for 18 years. And how long did you stay with the Odeon? I was there a couple of years. Okay. So this I is mean, like your first like break into in the This is in the like though. 94 or something. Okay. I mean, this is a long time. Oh, I'm old. So did you learn anything from any key mentors at the at the Odeon? Any people that really kind of influenced you? Know, you no, it's today? funny. I read your mentor question, and it's that does lead to a lot of my other questions. I really didn't have mentors, okay, which was a problem. Yeah. Okay. And as I let's flash to now, that was one of my biggest lessons. Was like, oh shit, right? It's <laughs> really good to have. I mean, I guess that I could say there's people I really admire. Um, friends of mine in new york that we work together um one of them is also she does private chefing and catering uh stephanie sugawara and she's awesome um carolyn fidanza who um was the chef when i worked at diner um in brooklyn okay and and she went on to open salty and i now i'm not exactly sure but, but you know, whatever everyone sort of stayed in that scene. And that was a connection through uh, Andrew Tarlow and Mark Firth, who I worked with at the Odeon. So okay. they were like my first friends. And then Andrew owns a bunch of places now in New York. And Mark owns a restaurant in Massachusetts called the Prairie Whale. And so, I mean, yes, I had people like I admire, but we were all sort of in it together. I didn't particularly ever think about mentors, but I didn't also grow up having mentors. <laughs> Well, it's something I've learned recently. You bring up like a really interesting point, though. I think a lot of people, when they think of a mentor, they think of somebody who's much older, wiser, and experienced. And yeah, those people tend to make great mentors because they're at a point in their life where 
they want to share their right. knowledge and they're they're looking for a mentee right. and they're looking to sh- to to lift up the next generation but a mentor can be a colleague it can't be somebody who's your peer who's really good at one thing that you're not so good at and you can go to them to, for mentorship on that one yes. subject yes well and that is what i have learned yes i didn't it wasn't until a couple of years ago when i sort of dove into this crazy big expansion having very little idea. I, I knew a lot about certain parts, but, you know, I also went into this big expansion with a partner and it didn't work out. Ooh, when That's was this? This is in New York? <laughs> this was here. Okay. I'm saying. So it wasn't until I started to learn all these really hard lessons and be responsible. Like, it's a lot to take on having payroll, people that raise families that work for you. These were things that were daunting. I know we're going to get into that, and I can't <laughs> wait to get into that. But before, I, I do like to try to find influential people. When you were in New York, was there another job that you had? You said you were working in Brooklyn. Um, was well, the fr- I would say for sure that those people I just mentioned yeah. definitely would be in that realm. Also, a really good friend of mine, Zeb Stewart, who he owned, he opened Union Pool, which was kind of Brooklyn, the first bar we really, you know, hung out at. Mm. Um, this is in Williamsburg. So I lived in Williamsburg the last 12 years I lived in New York. Okay. From when it was really, let's just say, not what it is now. Yeah. Uh, and there was a little kind of group of us that, you know, weren't Puerto Rican, weren't Polish, weren't Hasidic Jews. <laughs> Got you. Um, and, and he opened Union Pool, which was a major crazy success, still is. Um, he went on to open Hotel Del Mano, which okay. is a really cute little bar. And then Cafe Colette, and now he has a restaurant group called Brightside Hospitality, and they actually go in and like do concept and implementation for. They're doing the Hoxton right now, that hotel chain that's international. Okay. Um, so I would say for sure he's like high up there. So we've identified some of these people who are key influencers on you, people that you learn from being around them. Uh, can you get specific and maybe highlight? Was it Neb? Am I saying his name? Zeb. Zeb. Reflecting back at who Zeb is and was then and continues to be to this day, I'm sure, what were some of the ways you think he influenced you and the way he conducted himself in his businesses? You know, he's very amiable, very laid back, doesn't let, from what I see, doesn't let things get him all crazy. I I I should be thanking Zeb right now for influencing you because he could have been way crazy when I was a half hour late. Uh, That would be a big one, (laughs) you know. And I'd say that that goes to, because like I mentioned already too, right, Mark Firth, uh, who owns Prairie Will, and and I've watched. I mean, it's more like, sure, maybe my business was growing, but they they were always ahead, right, of me, or how I viewed it. Mm. Um. But it was just seeing how, like, that kind of authenticity matters a lot, right? Like, you have to, like, believe in your vision but not get crazy about it if it's not. You know, they're, they're, they are, they can go with the flow. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, it's important to have a vision. It's important to be a dreamer, but it's also important to be pragmatic. Pragmatic, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Any other key lessons from this time on the come up, living in New York, surrounding yourself with these incredible people? You know, make, make good food. <laughs> <laughs> right. Quality. You know, I think a sense of style, right? Really learning, really uh, learning that, you know, the importance of of branding, of having a, like an authentic sense of style. I mean, I sometimes hate the word authenticity. It's thrown around so much. But but what is 
true to you and like and also just on a, on the pragmatic side like what look around you and look at what you think is needed mm. like clearly when i moved here i was like say so we don't need any more places that serve barbecue and tex-mex <laughs> exactly <laughs> right what is the so finding the niche, right, and yeah. finding a unique selling proposition that's going to separate you from other people. But I think you're, you know, you're, you're hitting on something too. You're alluding to something too. A lot of people get into the industry. They try to create a concept of like a their vision is a a made up thing that they just think would be cool. It's a it's a part of their creative outlet. Uh, but the people that tend to create their vision in their their businesses as a reflection of their own personal core values and who they are tend to go much further because right. it's much easier to be yourself and to show up for your sure. values every day and than I, it is. To- yes. And I think that that's definitely part of it that I would say that all of these people would have influenced me. And it wasn't always necessarily restaurant people too. I have plenty of other artists, friends that influenced me. And it, it's also not being gimmicky. That would be a big one. What do you mean right? by gimmicky? Gimmicky. Like I want to open a, Rainforest Cafe. Sure. Let's say, you know, certain things. I don't I don't want I'm afraid to say anything because someone's like, what do you mean? That's my dream. Um, but to be, you know. Well, part of the mission here at Restaurant Unstoppable, as much as it is to serve <laughs> dreams, is to crush them. It's uh, to, just, to be you know, realistic. I personally, what I admired is that, that all the, these concepts I'm talking about and these people I'm talking about and even my friends who are not in the restaurant business but would definitely be mentors to me just in attitude. It's that. Yeah, being authentic to yourself, but having that pragmatism to also be like, look, you're serving customers. Like, don't shove it in their face what they have to have, right? Sure, you can have a dream of opening, uh, you only sell red velvet vegan cupcakes. Okay, like, that's cool. Do you have the market for that? Yeah. Are you going to stay open, right? So it's, I would say all of my favorite restaurants even, and I and I work, you know, I host trips in Italy in the summer. I work there every summer, and even what I'm always looking for, my favorite restaurants, they're not themed, right? Maybe some are, you know, a fried fish cart, okay? Like, that's cool. But as far as an environment that you're creating for people to be in. I gotcha. guess that's what I mean by gimmicky. No, I hear you. I'm, I'm picking it up and I'm loving it. And uh, I think this is a good point to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to pick up on starting your own business. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And we left off. You were now in San Antonio. Uh, What was the reason for coming for San Antonio? Why did you leave New York in the first place? This could be five podcasts. I have tried. <laughs> I get asked it a lot. Okay, my top two questions. 
is your name really Tim? What is it short for? And oh, why the hell are you in San Antonio? <laughs> I have a easy one for the first. Yes, it's my real name. Yes, my parents named me Tim. It was named after a crazy hippie whose nickname was Tim. Um, the, why did I get to San Antonio? I ha- left my son's father and a really terrible relationship and I'd been in New York for 18 years I knew I was going to be a full-time single mother and I legally couldn't move back to Canada because he wouldn't let me Mm. and so it we had a house here that we didn't live in anything but let's just say legally my choices were move to San Antonio where I I knew a couple of people but I had no family and really no support system or stay in New York where I did but a possibly fight with his dad every day of my life yeah. or be you know have a nanny raise my kid because yeah. I was going to be a full-time single parent and I just thought I'm going to take the risk and just do a new thing and like I said I cried for about a year and then got off my ass and decided to start a business well I respect your decision and I, th- I think we, we kind of lightly talked about your name but I think it's worth going into a little bit deeper to have a name that's so unique to be like your name Tim the girl is so easy to remember it's like Tim the girl like that brand is kind of a, a gift from you your know parents. and that was also very like because so in New York for the for a couple of years before I left New York I had an interior design business and I oh that's right I was gonna ask about came that came up with well I decided I was like absolutely never working in the culinary world again uh and so I had and my friend came up with calling it TTG design consultants because he's like it's Tim the girl but it sounds super pro <laughs> and then when I moved to San Antonio my friend Gion Shodsbury who's a artist um she moved here around when I did and I was just kind of starting the company I mean, and this is we're talking like you know drinking lots of margaritas getting drunk being like okay so like yeah that's gonna be around and she said, "I, you know, basically, I think it's time to like come out of the closet. Just call it Tim the Girl, <laughs> and that was it. And from there, you know, but it's so sticky, you know, and it's it's unique. And I think uh, if you're naming your kids right now, if you're thinking about naming your kids, give them a really cool name so they can be remembered. Right? I was almost Rocco Cacciatore. I still <laughs> haunt my parents to this day. I'm like, why did you guys name me Rocco Cacciatore? Like that's such an <laughs> awesome name. Uh, I'll settle with Eric. It's a solid name. But anyway, uh, so you you mentioned briefly just then that you were got into uh, interior design." And I'm sure that that, um, that has influenced your success, having an eye for design, an eye for brand. And I, I know I noticed you're also involved with some marketing for some companies. So you do have another element to you yeah. beyond just food. Well, and this is the thing, too, is like I don't – you know, I'm barely in the kitchen now. I mean, I'm now running a company. I am now trying to scale a brand. And it's like, yes, I um, – my friend Stephanie from New York, she flew down and helped also with menu development. And it's, you know, I come up with the concept. Um, they, the, the, our commissary kitchen has a whole bunch of recipes, you know. But it's, it's, there's a lot more than I'm handling, right? I mean, I have a heavy hand in our marketing, our branding, all our aesthetics, um, front of house. So, yeah, I mean, all of those parts I worked a lot of different kinds of jobs. It think, wasn't like I was stuck in a kitchen. Yeah, and this is a good segue because this is kind of where we left off. You started getting into like how you started growing your business and it, and you got to the point where your shoulder, you hurt your shoulder and you thought you had to have the conversation with yourself. Uh, am I going to scale and start hiring people or am I going to take a, a different path? And you chose to scale and start hiring people. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you started it wearing seemed, all those seemed easier hats. at the time. Right? So take us, <laughs> take us to that point where you left off and, and how you – chose to scale and grow your business and what lessons you learned along the way right so <laughs> lots of those um Let's get into i them. 
obviously chose to scale. I had my house became a commercial kitchen. I have a 2,000 square foot house, which moving from New York City is like a mansion. I've been here nine years now and I'm like, I need a bigger house. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we had like commercial fridges and living rooms, prep stations all over the house. Um, And that was kind of grew, grew, grew. But still it was, you know, I closed down for summer because I host culinary trips in Italy in the summer. So, and it's because I'm a full-time parent. Basically, school year is off limits to be gone. My ex has my son half of the summer, so I would go work in Italy then. And and it was, but so the business was growing, but it was I I couldn't really have full time staff because you know they didn't have a job in the summer. So that was probably let's say three or four years of that um, sort of fly by the seat of your pants. Like, and we we did well and we were popular, but it wasn't legit yet. Let's mm-hmm. say I then on one of the trips. To Italy, we have a lot of clients that come. Well, like people come from all over the world. We only take women, but they, at the time there happened to be a woman working who worked for the city here, and a couple other San Antonio women. And they're like, "We just wish that we could have your food all the time, and we didn't have to like book a party to eat your food." Which then got me. Even though I, when I moved here, everyone was like, <laughs> "When are you opening a restaurant?" I'm like, "Never, never, never." <laughs> um, started going, but I also was like thinking towards the future, and I'm like, "Look, I don't." My plan was I came up with the concept for the good kind. I I had the concept in my mind. I mean, I worked super hard on it and then met with my amazing designer, Doris Palmeros, and we kind of brainstormed because one of those shows, and I don't watch TV and I don't really know any of the shows, but it was something, one of those things where they might fund you. I don't know. Shark Tank. Okay. But it was a culinary one. I forget the name of it. I'm not sure. Um, Anyway, they wanted me to be on it, so I had to come up with this very concise vision. Um, It didn't end up ever happening. I can't even remember what happened with it. But it got the ball rolling. Um, It got the ball rolling where I actually had to sit down. Can you timestamp this for us so we have a perspective? Oh, um, so we opened our first location here, which is at the Pearl. I'm like, what month is it right now? Uh, January. So a year and a half ago. Okay. A year and a half ago, we opened. It was July of 2017. And I started working on it a couple of years before that. Okay. Right. So I think I kind of want to backpedal a little bit more because I want to talk about all the things that happened before the good kind because you scaled your catering business to a very successful business where you're getting accolades and awards. What, what is it about you and what you did with your business, the decision you made with your business to, to, to be successful? How did you run your business? Very poorly until I hired managers. So what does, what does very poorly look like? <laughs> I mean, very, like I said, fly by the seat of your pants. It's like, yes, at one point, I mean, it's it's all so foggy to me, really. But I mean, it's hard to reflect. At one that. point, I remember actually, it was this this girl, this woman that I know that basically showed up and was like, "You need an assistant, and I'm going to be it." And I was like, "I can't afford." So that was a big lesson, right? I can't, I you know, there's always that fear, and even now, I'm still caught in that small business sort of thing where like I need a ton more help but I can't afford it. Mm. But biggest lesson and what I did back then was just being like, okay, you know what? Yeah, just have to believe mm. that you're going to figure out a way because for sure, for sure, and it's the biggest piece of business advice I give people, hire the right people and believe yes. you can make more money. Because you know what? If you just sit doing everything yourself, and I did everything. I did all our marketing. I did everything myself for so long. And when I started to let go and be like, okay, right. Okay, fine. Because this is, 
this woman, she said, I'm going to be your assistant and don't worry. I'm, we're definitely going to make more money and you're going to be able to afford me and I will handle all the books. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like I'm a big risk taker. Um, Which is important. Uh, Calculated risk, right? Yeah, and or, I can't even say they were calculated. I really, <laughs> I can't even say it was calculated. I appreciate the honesty. It was, um, it was just like I'm a big dreamer. I'm definitely a visionary, and that's just I had a plan then. So my plan after the catering company was built up was that I was going to do the good kind, and I was going to stop. Tim the girl was going to be gone. I didn't want something named after me. I was over it. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to. Because we were still in that phase where people expected me personally at everything. Yeah, you're the brand. We got too yeah. big. And I was like, no, we have to. So we did a huge. I hired someone that helped me with like a big rebrand of Tim the Girl, which and, you know, whatever. Your marketing matters a lot, right? Read yeah. the website. It's pretty clear. Like, I'm not going to be at your party. I go to events if it matters, but I mostly don't. I hear you. So, uh you mentioned something I want to go deeper into is the importance of uh, surrounding yourself with the right people, right? And if you believe, uh, then the money, like if, if they are the right people, the money will come. They will yeah. help bring the money in. So how yeah. do you uh, how do you prioritize the right people, or how do you know you have the right people? What, what's your? Is it just a gut instinct type thing, know. or it's do a you feeling? Like look, hire a bunch of the of the not right ones, <laughs> and then you learn. Yeah, I guess that that, that helps. definitely helped. Um, and I think it just like for me, I'm I'm a very um, I go to a lot of learning events and that, I mean, now I'm, I'm very into that, but I'd say, I mean, I'm a very hands off boss. I am used to be a big micromanager. Now I am very much like, look, if the sales goals are being met, the costs are where they're supposed to be and we're not getting bad reviews, you're doing a good job. I I don't really care how it is. (laughs) So you Basically, provide the guidelines, the basic right. guidelines. It's, and I think that's the big thing. It's like setting, and look, we only still, I'm working on certain systems and parameters, but it's all about the network. I mean, I have so many entrepreneur friends now. We we tend to, like, so the trips I do to Italy are through one of my best friends. Her company is Italian Fix. And a lot of the women who end up coming on our trips are entrepreneurs. So we've definitely made a whole, because I've been doing those trips for nine years. Um We've met a lot. And so I have now have learned, learn how to ask for help. They even help me with like, oh, who has a job description for this, right? So it's those systems are what matter. And if you set the parameters and boundaries for people to work within, because look, I used to always say that I could, you know, what is the expression of being able to like, you know, get a perfectly trained dog and within a day they'll be like shitting on your floor. Like that was me. Okay. Like you have to find the right kind of people that work for your style, Mm. right? Like I definitely can't have people. Now that we have a hierarchy and I have a director of operations, I have an operations manager, I have a director of sales, I have the operational yeah. chart in line. You know, we kind of alluded to it earlier, just the the importance of, you said, uh, authenticity. But when I think of authenticity, I think it goes beyond the brand. It goes to the point of, you said you, said you got to find the right people. But how do you know who the right people are until you know who yourself Interview is? Interview well. well. What do they yeah, say but- is like... Fire quickly, hire slowly. Yeah. 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 But you, you said like you got to hire the right people for you, but you don't know. Right. You got to know who I you are. I think that's are. a gut feeling. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But what about you? You mentioned um, the two things I pulled from that. Uh, well, the, the big thing you mentioned quickly, it came out of your mouth. It's all about your network. Um, right. So you're, you, it's just about surrounding yourself with the right people who are going to, uh, I don't want to put words into your mouth. What did you mean by that? Get into that in more detail. 
I mean, for me, it's definitely people, you know, believe in my vision. I don't want to hire. And I've had plenty of people I've hired and they go off to do their own thing. And I'm super supportive of that. But ideally, you know, to build a brand, you want people that are lifers, Mm -hmm. that really believe in the vision, that are, you know, going to learn about the brands. And ours is pretty complicated because it's two completely separate brands that the infrastructure of my company, people work for both. Um People that are willing to learn the brand. I mean, it's look, it's a lot about having the right, the people that they all, I wouldn't even say necessarily get along, work well together. So I think you're, the emphasis you're putting on is the importance of the vision because it, if, if it's the right vision, it attracts onto yourself right. the right people. Being very clear about your vision so that people don't come into something and they're just like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know this. I mean, we do. I'm like, wait, if I'm interviewing someone, did you look at our websites? If they didn't, pretty much right away they're not getting the job because, like, what? who the hell goes to a job interview and doesn't know what it's for? Mm. Like, I don't want people that just read it on Indeed or Craigslist or whatever. If they did their research, that's right away a good one. Um, You want people that are a bit hungry, for sure, right? I mean, (laughs) entitled millennials are (laughs) not our favorite (laughs) hires. Um, Right now I have, you know, the best team that I could even hope for and I would say through time I've thought that quite often and then it just keeps as the game ups the people kind of come and go and I feel like it always if you're a if you have a clear vision and they're on board with it I think that's a big that's a big important part of it so I want to go deeper into vision because I think that this is going to be a key takeaway from today's conversation it's not enough just to have the vision one I'm sure one thing that you're you're good at is communicating the vision and sharing the vision so what does how do you make sure that your vision is the same vision that your people have hmm Provide them with lots of good materials. There's a lot of it, right? What do you mean? What kind of materials? You know, here is your sales deck. Here is, you know, I have a great team. And when I say that, I also, my director of marketing, my designer, we have a cohesive, it's clear from all of our materials even, right? I mean, I think that matters. So that the salespeople, it's like, here's all your materials, to work with. From there, it's pretty hard to not understand the vision. So what do you mean by materials? Because I'm not um, fully uh, versed in the world of catering. Catering menus, your website, um, that type of thing. So getting that Sales brand. pieces. So basically having that, that brand so crystal clear that right. your brand communicates we your vision. We do wedding fairs. So like we do wedding fairs, for example, for Tim the Girl. We have a total kit set up. Okay. And we have like banners that go behind us. Um, tablecloth that's branded. This is the setup we do for food. Here's our cool postcards. It's like, it's all there there. It is an established brand. And if that's there, I think that as far as the hiring, it's like people know what they're getting into. They're not going to something that's generic and having to guess what they're doing. Mm. It, there's not a lot of guesswork. Got you. So you just, you, you, you fill the gaps. I have Pinterest boards <laughs> that you. are about, you know, this is Tim the Girl aesthetic. This is the good kind of aesthetic. Um, everyone who works in my kitchen, I'm like, you're if you're not on Pinterest, you're getting on it. Um, photos of things, right? Good photography. Yeah. I mean, all of it. One other thing I'm really curious about, as you started transitioning from working on the business to, or some, from working in the business to on the business and finding other people to surround yourself with, how did you know which people to uh to get on board first. Oh, hmm. um, I don't know. It was always, look, for a long time, it was like 
stopping the leaks in a boat. Mm. There was not. I did not have a vision of how to do that. <laughs> now, I mean, you know, we have. Yeah, no, back then it was. Let's, you know, an assistant. She became an operations manager. It was pretty fly by the seat of my pants. Yeah. Really. I didn't have. Now, I, it's pretty specific. We yeah. have team meetings. We're always going over action lists and figuring out, like, where, what are the, it's a, it's a ton of work. Like, you don't have to do it. Lots exists online. I have a business coach now, too. I mean, I have a lot of stuff now. That's a really important point. But I think a lot of people think that if they go get a consultant, if they go get a coach, it means that I can't do no. it. And, that I, and that's absolutely, why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? I just think that that is what kicks so many. I've seen so many, and I follow certain people's careers, and I think it kills a lot of people. And let's just say... I personally think that men are more likely to be like that. Um, Fair. <laughs> that just like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, there's so many resources out there and so many people. I am like an ex, but that is like my superpower is networking and knowing who to ask for help. Mm. I, I really try to basically do nothing myself. I think that's a really <laughs> good uh, conversation to have is how do you ask for help? How do you approach people and ask for help and how do you get them to actually give it to you a lot of people are busy they don't have the time to offer help to everybody so what is it what's your approach very few people say no to me <laughs> <laughs> is it something about you the way you ask the do you uh, i mean i think you know well believe there's people who have helped me because they just saw that i was drowning that was definitely a phase when the whole kind of partnership thing went south and that was a really traumatizing time I have in my that, life. I had that on the back burner, by the way. It was I, a traumatizing I, I time of that. my life we'll, where we'll, I was just like <laughs> hide in corners drinking martinis crying. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I very quickly just was like, okay, you know, there is a consultant that works at Pearl that we have access to through because we're in there and he just has gone above and beyond. They're like, okay, so you have access to our consultant. <laughs> I remember when he first gave me his phone number, I was like, you will rue the day. Yeah, do, do, <laughs> you I'm sure? like, wait a minute, now I know how to ask for help. Like, I'm sure he woke up many mornings with text messages I sent at 3 a.m. Um, so I think it's just, it's, it's reaching out. I think a lot of people actually do want to help. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that already have made the mistakes. And look, it's so easy to say. It's like, can you tell a teenager that they shouldn't drink and drive or have sex? Like, whatever, is if they're going to listen. <laughs> it's like, I find that way too many times, it, it's after you've learned so many hard lessons that you learn how to do that. And I just... I wish I'd known before, but here I am now. You know, if you, you bring something up, like a lot of the time, like you don't want to be a pain in the ass by asking people for help or you, you're worried about how that's going to reflect on me. But when people are good at things and they do have a talent and they have a skill. It's not hard for them. They, well, it's not hard for them. And they it, re, it, they, it feels good. It releases endorphins. A lot We're of times they to have it help. sitting there waiting already. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I really, look, I do have a very big network of friends. I forgot to say one of my other, and I'll even say mentor now, even though he's, Younger than me and not been in the business so long is my friend Alex Pincus, who owns Grand Banks and Pilot, those cool boats in New York that are like oyster bars. And and he just like watching how he just kind of like rolled into all that so quickly and figured it out so quickly is like astounding to me. But I think he's also very good at the 
asking for help. Yeah, but I think... And you, I ask him for lots. <laughs> if you approach somebody and you acknowledge their thing, that whatever it is they do, and you're, you're polishing their ego, you're making... You're, right. You know, and, and people like to be recognized for what they're good at. It's, we, we need to be recognized for what we're good at. I mean, I think it's a part of human nature right. to be I valued mean, by others. there's a difference between asking for help and being a pain in the ass. And, you yeah. know, I just... Try to not be a pain in the ass. I'm sure I am to some people. <laughs> but no, now, I mean, I have a very big network. I'm lucky. I know that. Mm. I have a giant network of people that really want to help me. Maybe we can wrap up this conversation before going to the speed round talking about how how you approach networking, the right attitude to have when you go into networking events. But I don't want to get into that yet because we still have to talk about your, the, this uh, failure that you keep alluding to or your uh-huh. uh, the un, is it the uncommon fair is that what we're talking about no or, or is it no a different... this was the beginning of the good kind okay so, yeah okay so the beginning of the expansion so I can't say a lot about it legally without getting into uh, yeah. the details <laughs> names and things of that and that the, the mission isn't to make other people look bad but it's to take away exp- like Lessons I think from the main thing of uh, the main lesson, and I've been asked this lots of times in interviews, is just, and I think this is something particular, more particular to women, is that you think that you need help that you don't need when really you can just hire it, mm. right? I was just like, I there's no way I can run the business end of things, right? I thought I needed someone, it turned out to be a man, where I was like, oh yeah, no, so let's just say on the outside... You know the term gaslighting, right? Not too familiar. I've heard it's of it, but like I'm like how not people you. can talk their way around you, and make you think you're crazy. Okay, right? It's called gaslighting. Um, he was a pro, and it seemed like a great union. It did, and but it was more, I would say, my maybe laziness is a little too hard on myself. Um, Trust, but fear. I was afraid I couldn't do it myself. And so I took on a partner. Maybe you trusted that he would be able to help you. Maybe. Oh, totally. Yeah. No. And I just was like, wait a minute. I mean, I think everyone's trying to do their best, aren't they? Yeah. You bring up a really, <laughs> a really interesting point um, because there are when you when you're starting off and you're small, um, you can't do everything yourself, and the the natural instinct is to go hire or or find a partner and you right. give up equity, uh, and they do what the, what you're not good at. It, it's awesome when it works, and I've seen it happen. Um, like my friend Alex, I was telling you about his his brother Miles is his partner. They have an awesome partnership. It does happen. And um, it happens, but I went into it too quickly without enough knowledge. But I was desperate. So the, the other thing that you mentioned that, that I want to bring to the surface is that you can you can hire out for right. a lot of uh, it, skills. It goes back to that fear of like that you can't afford it. Right? It seems better to mm-hmm. give someone equity. So I guess my question is, when do you know it makes sense to hire out versus give equity or bring on a partner? I don't think you can. I mean, it's who's the partner, yeah. right? Yeah. How well do you know? But uh, look, what I would say to anyone wanting to. Do anything entrepreneurial is listen to how I built this. All the episodes, yeah. or restaurant and stuff, <laughs> or restaurant and stuff. <laughs> but how I built this is a great. It's I mean, it's the same. Great, it's the same concept. It's, it's all. It doesn't matter what your end product is. Who cares? It's a red velvet vegan cupcake yeah. or it's a hat. I mean, but just, business is business. And just listening to stories is, is so important because that's how it's. We, we our minds are 
are hardwired to to retain stories into and I mean that's literally how we passed on knowledge from generation to generation right. to generation for as long as we we've existed and our brains are our brains are hardwired to take the path of least resistance when it comes yeah. to learning. So if you can if you can teach and you can share stories and listen to other people's stories, you can you can learn so much. It's so powerful. So um, I mean, yeah, and if you're going to I mean those are, if you're going to get a partner, have an ironclad operating agreement. I mean, look, hire a good like hire out hire professionals to get a lawyer, get an accountant. Like don't think you can do those things yourself yeah, yeah sure on a certain level when you're really small of course you can yes but so if you're trying to scale a business you can't my next question was going to be how um what would you have done differently with this partnership knowing what you know now you kind of just listed off a bunch of things operations agreement protect yourself lawyer i mean i did have that um yeah no i wouldn't have done it mm. if i was doing it differently i wouldn't have had a partner what about going to the future are you kind of is partnerships off now the table it's for just you me okay uh i have investors Okay. They own equity in my company. Okay. So I have a group of investors. Um, and I think that's a way better way to go. I mean, I, but I can say, like, I'm really good at taking even bad things and just being like, okay, no, I learned good lessons. Um, I became, like, my mentor at Pearl. He said, you know, sure, it was a really expensive, really painful lesson, but just think of it as business school. It's like when you go to business school, if it's not real life, you do not learn the same way. Yeah. And I very quickly learned, like I had a crash course in, in running a business. Yeah, when your livelihood suffers When it was from like going to collapse. <laughs> yeah. So the, what I'm taking from you is uh, you don't necessarily need to give up equity. You don't necessarily have to bring on a partner. What you can do is you can go to investors who yeah. uh, invest in you and your vision and what you're trying to do. Yeah. And then you can use that capital to say then invest in a product or a service that can help you with whatever it is you need help with instead of – yeah. I'm that, a big. That is my philosophy. That is, I'm a okay. big fan of that. Yeah, and you know, there, I, one thing I've learned is there's no exactly one way that's right. Sure. It, there's so many. Like, there's so many different ways to get from Boston to California, exactly. LA. It, you have to figure out what works best for exactly. you. Exactly. Um, and do the research. I mean, yeah. Had I done that, I so, mean, but yeah. I mean, and it's really it's what is it? My my husband. I just got remarried. Um, a year like last year, a year and a half ago. Um, almost two years ago. Hmm. Um, anyway, it's kind of, it's funny. I always think of this sign. So he does like cool restoration and builds really cool things, does design and, and people, you know, he's not cheap, but he has this sign he sent to me from the, from the, where he gets lumber or something that says, if you think good carpenters or contractors, I forget what it was, good contractors are expensive, see how expensive it is to hire a cheap one, mm. right? And it <laughs> kind of goes to say, or I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, lawyers are really expensive. Business lawyers are really expensive, but the lessons I've learned from not running things by them is a way more expensive exactly. lesson. Exactly. Good point. And uh, one thing I'm curious about, because we just said that, um, you know, there is no one way that's right. It all depends on what's right for you. What is it about you that thinks... That makes you think that the approach you're taking with uh, getting the investment and hiring out uh, and surrounding yourself with a network and services, that combination, like what is it about you that makes that right for you? I'm curious. I don't play well with others. No, um, <laughs> I um, it was just from learning the lesson of the partner. Look, I would have loved I would love to have a partner that was as invested as me and and had totally different talents and whatever, but look, it didn't work out. Yeah. So now this is just, and I have realized that you can find really dedicated employees and you can, you know, like I really want to create this company to be able to like 
be a place people really want to work. And I think I've already done that. I want to be able to offer them more. I'm happy to like, once we can actually start ever making money, (laughs) set up profit sharing. I'd rather do it that way and have people that work for me that are super invested. I'm not going to take on another partner i hear you no it's you got your reasons i get it yeah um so one other thing that was really interesting to me that i want to go deeper into is this idea of the value of your network uh and i agree with you i think you know we i think a lot of people try to take the approach to know a lot of people and i don't necessarily subscribe to that notion i think it's about really being uh specific about the the people that the key people that you need in your life or that needs you um so how do you how do you find out like how do you decide who you network with. I mean, or how do you even approach networking situations? Judgment. <laughs> judgment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I am like a really good read of people. Like I can read people really well. And if you're, you know, pretty true to who you are, you're probably going to attract like-minded people or that's been my experience mm. with sort of different talents. And you have to have patience to put up with maybe Someone that you need to help you isn't doesn't have to be your best friend and who you want to go chill and drink wine with, but you still need them. So yeah. you still need to learn to be patient and civilized with people. I mean, I think that's part of it for sure. Knowing who to ask for what. I mean, it's like, sure, you can just kind of like barf out all these things that you need. And if you haven't done your research first and like whatever way you can. I mean, with Facebook now, it's really easy to figure out who knows what. Yeah. Um, just do your own homework first. And then if you go into it with like clear direction of what you're asking for, I think that that is easier for people to give. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, I think if people know what your intentions are, if you're upfront with your intentions, right. be transparent yeah. and, and, you know, learn also about giving back. Like you, you know, I, I'm depending on the kind of time that I have, I'm pretty, I'm happy to help other people also. I like to like bring community together. Make time for me. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I hear you. So I've, we, we haven't really gotten into your actual business, uh, the framework of your business, how you run your business. Uh, you started with a catering company. Um, you are now, you have, I know you have a commissary, which is feeding your, the, the good kind at the Pearl. Um, like what is the, your approach to this business? What is it about your business that you think is working the, as far as like how to keep, keep the margins in a, in a, a safe place and to be profitable? Like how have, have you set it up to, to make it work? Well, um, we're not, I mean, okay. Because look, every time we like, we're taking a bit, we're doing a big expansion right now. So we're not profitable. <laughs> um, but how, do I make it work? A lot of juggling around, um, you know, keeping a close eye on things. And like I said, weekly team meetings, we, I'm very transparent with financials. I go over it with all of the management. Why is that so important? You want people to feel, you know, part of it and that they own it too. I don't want, and I also look, some people may have a different thing. I don't want to micromanage, but something like that needs to be, I mean, we go over our true actual cost for labor, actual cost for food every week. Um, what our revenue is, sales goals, like that's imperative. I mean, you have to do that. I think when you when you empower your people to understand the why and to know right. that every well, action because has a- it's very easy to look from the outside and be like, oh, so successful. Oh, you must be making so much money. No, we're not. Okay, <laughs> breaking even right now with what we're doing is like a really good thing. Yeah, I'm like, yay, guys, we made nothing last month. That's awesome. Okay, we covered all of our costs. That's a big deal. 
And I think you also need to like kind of give yourself a break and and but again, research it, be realistic about what your potential is. I think that you know, I mean, I I forget what your original question was. Okay. I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out your um how you're operating your business and how right. decisions and you were getting into open. I mean, like I said, job descriptions, proper hierarchical flow chart, who to ask for what, getting all the systems in place. There should never be. I mean, I'm always like, look, why did this, let's just say, I, I don't like to call it failure, but if something goes wrong, how did it happen? Okay. What was the system that was followed? How, what are the flaws? Like I'm always trying to kind of like knock at things and see where the weak links are. Where is something breaking down and why? It's pretty easy. It's a lot of people I don't think take the time to do that. Um, they just are like, ah, everything's fucked up. Yeah. No, um, it's fine. <laughs> and, and I think that is really what is the most important because look, you can't blame someone for failure when they didn't know another way. So instead of reacting and just getting angry at that person and just uh, throwing your hands up and saying, I'll oh, do better next time, you go, okay, there was a break in the chain. Let's right. find the break. And, Where did it? And, and if it, it consistently is just a person, then they don't have a job. Yeah. Right. But if it's like, okay, right. The f- right cheat wasn't there. The sheet wasn't filled in properly by somebody else, right? Let's figure out. And I'm very cautious to always say that. Mm. I'm like, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to get mad at people. But we need to figure out a better system. Let's look into I'm constantly shopping around at different business systems, different communication systems, right? Like, how can this all work? So I know a lot of people who might be running their businesses and they never took the time to implement the systems and the processes. Uh, You can also have too many. Yes. And that's definitely something that I try to be cautious of. Okay. Um, I think a lot of business owners are like, I just heard about this new thing, blah, blah, blah. And then they want it like the next day and the next week it's something different. That's a really... (laughs) <laughs> Let's segue into that, and we'll come back to it. Why is it so important to, to be conscious of how many systems you have? What's the well, negative you'll burn effect? your staff out, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest one, right? And they're going to not trust that you're doing your own homework when you're changing midstream, changing all the time. And we use we use Slack, and that's like awesome. Um, it and there's been people that it took me a bit to get them into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be able to sell it. Whatever it is that you're implementing, um, and system, I also am, why is it better? Right? Why is, it, why is better? it better? And I'm also very, like I said, I mean, I I make employees write their own playbooks, write your own job description, okay, and let's see what parts are missing. Mm. And when you have, you know, operation, you're trying to change system. I try to get them to create it, okay? So. I will look at it. Okay, so how is this working? What are you doing? Because there's a lot. Look, I have a lot going on. I'm not involved in a, lo- in a lot of parts of my business anymore. But when I see that, say, a, a phone call wasn't returned for a couple of weeks, okay, that's a problem. Nobody's fault, but let's go through and see what we can eliminate, what we can, how we can change other systems to free up time. So it's just a constant juggling and yeah. playing around well, with it. Uh, you know, there's one one thing I picked up when people try to scale and they and they are trying to when they find breaks in the chain, they go, "We need to fix that with a system." And they get too dependent on systems and they and they let the systems override the human element. And they like you say like you you overwork your your people. Your people get so b- bared down by systems that they can't be human. 
because they right. have to they're they're so governed by the system where there's a lot of important variables in hospitality specifically where the human elements are really important and that you people need to feel like they can make a decision and break from the system right. to solve you a problem. You definitely right need to empower people to make decisions, but you also have to set boundaries where you're like no, I expect whatever these logs to be filled in Mm -hmm. you know i need to have a way that i understand what's going on without being there all the time yeah i think it's really important too you mentioned it and i loved it is that you let your people write their job description you let them you let them kind of contribute why is it so important for them to be a part of that process i mean it's really great to be like what do you think your job is (laughs) okay (laughs) And, and then from there you with everyone else look at them all and be like okay what part's missing and that goes to also your question how do you know what you need to hire you know, there's time. You know, recently we hired on an assistant kitchen manager that is totally amazing um, and a great addition to the team. But, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what we were missing, but some things were problematic. We needed we needed help, and I just decided that was the way. But that was from including everybody else. Got you. Right? So what I started to ask, and then you dropped gold on us, and I had to go into it, uh, was when you – for somebody who um, has a business and they haven't taken the time early on uh, to implement the systems, I mean, did, were you starting to work in systems from, from early on or is this oh, something you learned? no. Yeah. So no. how did you overcome that initial hill to, to get the systems in place? What was this conversation you had with yourself? What was your approach, your technique to get to, get to the point where you It was just so stressful. Right. Yeah. And Again, asking for help, which is, I think, why people never take the leap to get systematized because they look at that hill and they go, well, "Oh no, it was so stressful to not have them." Oh, okay. Got yeah. You. <laughs> you know, and I know, but again, asking for help, learning to reach out and be like, "Hey, how do you do that?" Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Of course, we have standardized bo sheets. Yeah, we totally <laughs> do. And I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> so I mean. It's like along the you way. You don't know what you don't know. Lots of other people are doing the same thing and they don't have crazy stressed out lives. Mm. Like, and I think it's especially easy in any food, you know, culinary restaurant catering thing where it's like this, you're supposed to be, if you're not crazy ripping your hair out, then like it's not, you're not really doing it right or it's not cool. You know, no, that is not how life should be. Mm. And yeah. syst- without systems, that is how life will be. I think this is a good uh, full circle because we started this conversation with getting to that mindful place of knowing that you don't have to be stressed out, that there's ways to manage your life, your your mindset, your systems or whatever. Uh, but getting into mindset, because uh, you're a pretty even keel person, you're pretty like... You know, <laughs> I the- appear so. <laughs> but what's the conversation that you have in your in your mind when the shit does hit the fan and you're faced with the decision to lose your shit or to say, it could be worse? Well, so a lot has changed in this last couple of years. My very best friend in the world passed away in June. I'm sorry and to she hear that. was diagnosed with cancer two years ago. Oof. I had a couple other close friends die also in the last year and a half. It's been like anyway, that is what truly was kinda like propelled me to just be like, What the f- what the fuck does it really matter? Mm. Oh my god, someone didn't like their salad dressing. Look, I'm going to try to work to remedy things, but like one per, I'm never going to let one person get me down, you know, or Yelp review. I mean, I really, I just, I think that was it where I was like, wow, or you could just be dead. So truly you need to like, just be able to like, take it on. Like, sure. Okay. So something really, I don't even know what, what could be really bad. I mean, it just doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. And, and in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, food is important to me. I love food, but I'm like, so your meal wasn't perfect. Oh, 
I mean, even as bad as like someone found a toenail clipping in their thing. Okay, ultimately, I'm like, look, it's something you can get over. Yeah. I'm, I'm a- going to do everything possible yeah. to remedy that situation, but I'm not going to let it f- totally exactly. flip me out. And I think you know people are naturally uh, creatures of the That's moment. That's really gr- I would actually be really grossed out if that happened. Like, I, was I was like, like, uh, like the grossest thing. I was thing. like, did that happen? Like a big toe. No, I made a kind of a weird happened, face when I heard that. I'm just imagining <laughs> I like, the grossest thing. I think she's re- like reacting to the face I made. And I apologize. <laughs> I, I wear my heart on my sleeve sometimes. Um, but I think humans are, we are people, we're creatures of the moment. We live in the moment uh, and most like any other mammal or creature on the earth lives in the moment. Um, and we let our emotions get the best of us. But the cool thing is we have evolved that frontal lobe that lets us, you know, su- suppress the emotion to take a step back and to look at the big picture and right. to know that you have that ability is a very freeing thing. And next time you feel those emotions swelling, take a step back and look at the the big picture. Does it right. really matter? This is the thing. Look at the yeah. big, you know, look, hire people, that are like super detail oriented and are going to make sure those things don't happen. But like, I know, I think this is the biggest one. Know who you are. Mm. Okay. Sit down, figure out what, what are you good at? You know, there's something I work with, with my business coach is like, you know, the boxes, like, what are you, what do you actually hate doing? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, really as a, if you're like the leader, you should really be able to run any business doing only the things that, bring you more strength yes. and that you enjoy doing. Yes. Because if you're bogged down with the minutia, it's just it's not doing anyone any good. I love it. I love this conversation. This has been a great chat. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors one more time. We'll come back for a speed round. You're doing great, Tim. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grand Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant 
restaurants, hospitality online with Bento Box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, building an emotional connection with customers and my network. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Maybe having too much compassion <laughs> for people's personal problems. That's rough. Uh, <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Oh, recently learned this this was what is your worst job you ever had mm. and how long did you last there what are you looking for someone that's a bit hungry that has had to live through some hard knocks yeah what is your biggest challenge today <sighs> there's too many to say <laughs> it really is i'm getting my getting my new restaurant open okay what and how are you overcoming that I mean, and I'm also finding new investors. Mm. So there we go. That's the, and it, no, not like it's a big challenge. I have lots of people that want to do it. <laughs> it's just keeping it all, keeping my eye on the ball. Mm. So like we talked about big scope. You're overcoming this challenge by keeping your eye on the big picture. Got yeah. it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Again, I'll say the building an emotional connection with your customers. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that is common within your four walls but not common within the industry. A way you go above and beyond. I, I, um, I guess teaching, trying, if people are interested, engaging with them about what exactly the food is about. Got you. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. yeah, like being willing to explain and educate, educate the customer. I don't like to use the word because it sounds too preachy, and but I would say that definitely our food horizon. is more... Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is it? Teaching. Got you. Being open to teaching. I like it. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? I think everyone should read The E-Myth. <laughs> mm, that's a huge one, uh, especially today's conversation talking about yeah. systems, uh, the entrepreneurial myth, Michael yeah. E. Gerber, must-read for sure. Uh, what is... I know that book's on audio, too, so if you guys... Mm-hmm. I mean, even just listen to it. it will and one that I'm reading you- now that I'm really into is called The Second Circle. That's What's another one. It's way more about kind of just emotional. I don't know. It's complicated to explain, but it's super interesting. What's the biggest lesson you pull from, pull from that book, The Second well, Circle? Well, I've only read the first third of it. Um, it's that connection kind of art where how to kind of reach that like natural flow in life where things don't seem like so hard all the time. Got you. What is one thing you think restaurateurs or uh, – Caterers don't do well enough or often enough. Make good food. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Uh, what is one piece of a technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge influence influence on operations, profitability, communications, uh, anything along those lines? Slack. Slack. And mm-hmm. what's that one comes up a I lot? Profitability, uh, but. Um, just as a communication channel, you you as the owner of the business are included in everything. Mm hmm. And so in. when I catch people just texting each other, I'm like, what the fuck? There's a fucking Slack channel. <laughs> because, look, you need to be. I mean, G Suite is another one. I mean, I what had imp- G Suite. It's what? Google's oh, Gmail. Yeah, yeah. Um, just that, you know, someone leaves and all of a sudden, like, two years of emails with clients are gone. I learned that the hard way. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute. So navigating everything to G Suite so that I ultimately Backlog. own those accounts. Yeah, I got you. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? 
Sure. If he got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants, and your catering companies would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What were the three things you know to be true that you would leave behind? Not letting the hard lessons in life harden you, harden mm. your heart. That would be important. I dig it. Doing something that you love, I really think, is, you know, and I don't mean that, look, I'd, if everyone in the world only did what they loved, I think we'd be missing some gaps there, right? Because who would be like, I love, like, working at the landfill, getting rid of the <laughs> dead bodies of stray animals. Oh. Okay? No, I'm just saying there are some horrible jobs yeah. that someone, <laughs> but I think it's like, look, you can hope to find something that you care about and that's i think what you should spend most of your time doing don't focus on the bad do what you love what's the third one um i guess kind of goes along with those parts but just that you know taking the time to appreciate the good parts Mm. i'm not very good at that i'm never i have a really hard time feeling like any kind of like oh i'm proud of myself like i'm just on to the next thing and always looking for what's wrong in the current things i I'm trying, I very much like to not be that way. I think it's. Tim, this has been a great conversation. I've loved every second of it. You've been incredible. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire and respect and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? I'm going to say Zeb. Zeb. Yes. I was hoping you'd say Zeb. He's in New York. He's in New York. I might be able to swing by New York my way back in New Hampshire in a month. So Zeb, look out. I'm coming after you. (laughs) I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know, uh, how can we connect with you? If maybe you want to come join your team, you're, you're, you're expanding new bodies. I'm sure. What's the best way to connect? The best way is through the catering website, which is timthegirl.com. Um, we also have eatgoodkind.com. And this is episode 588. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 588. I'll have a summary of today's discussion, plus the tools and services recommended, books recommended, and how to connect with Tim, the girl over there. Tim McDermott, thank you so much again. Uh, thank there, you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Well, there you go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tim McDermott, thank you so much for coming on the show. And some great lessons today. I think the big ones that stood out to me is this mentality that when you reach a certain point and you have more on your table that you can handle, you need to get some help. You need to get an assistant. You need to rely and lean on other people so you can scale your business. And you have to have hope that when you invest in these people, even if you feel like you might not have the money yet or you're going to be making less money, uh, you have to have faith that when they come on your team, they're going to help you make more money. And you got to take that leap. You have to have that faith. Uh, also, I love this mentality that mentors don't necessarily have to be somebody who's been around in the industry longer than you and is who's older than you. It can be a peer. It can be somebody who's better at one thing than you are. And when you grow a network and you're intentional about how you grow your network and you're surrounding yourself with people and relationships uh, with with the individuals that are strong where you're weak, you become well-rounded yourself. And you have to remember that it's not just a a take you have to give. Uh, And usually you don't get until you give. So be generous with your time, be be generous with your knowledge, and then watch the doors open and also be transparent. Uh, Don't try to pull a fast one. Just be honest and open with what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, don't be gimmicky, gimmicky, like she says, with with your brand and uh, be intentional with your brand. Even your brand will help you attract on the right people. So lots of great stuff today in this conversation. I also like the advice on uh, 
systems, processes, procedures. Uh, and when uh, a system does go wrong or somebody does mess up, don't blame the person. Blame the system. And if you can correct the system, uh, then you're even better off than you were before. So awesome stuff today. And uh, like always, guys, I got to remind you, please reach out to me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews coming. They help so much. Please sign up for my email list. That's how you stay in the loop. You stay connected and you get the insides uh, scoop. And also you get to kind of engage with the platform. You get to contribute to the platform. For example, uh, I just let my email listeners know that we're going to go potentially back to email Fridays or fan mail Fridays. And I get to, uh, you know, field the questions from you. And we're going to get an expert on the show or a past guest mentor on the show to answer your questions. So uh, be a part of that email list and uh, can. You know, shoot me your, your questions, shoot me your, your challenges, and we'll get an expert on this interview. And I, I think that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.